This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, back, your host, Ishmael Johnson, here in studio with Mike Craven. Mike, hello. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I'm very tired. How was your vacation in San Antonio? Yeah, vacation. It it was a vacation. Uh, You weren't on the podcast, so I just figured you're just not doing anything. (laughs) Very true. That's fair. Uh, I was watching a lot of basketball, um, but uh, getting very tired. And uh, still very tired, but I'm here now. So I have a question for you, and I wanted to ask you while I was recording, so you were on the record. Sure. Which, which is more mentally tiring, the Texas State Championships, where you know the games can be longer mm-hmm. and you, you're there just in that same spot forever, right. or the basketball ones where it seemingly – I felt like you were tweeting at like 8 a.m. scores and right. tweeting at like 9 p.m. scores. Right. You know? uh, ooh, that's a good question. I'd say – I'll, br- I'll bring Mallory into this, producer Malpal, by the way. Um, Hello. You were there for the girls. I was. Right? So you saw the girls' state championships. I was there for both weekends. Mm-hmm. I'd say, obviously, after the full after both weekends, that's obviously more tiring. But as a specific event, I'd say you're more amped for the basketball. Yes. Um, more intimate environment. I love the way that they do the Alamo Dome. They cut it in half. And so you're kind of walking in through, like, a cavernous, empty void before you get behind the curtains and you see like the arena and they do it really well um typically especially i think they the way they order it so for those of you that don't know they do it it is 8 a.m to 8 p.m basically Mm -hmm. games non-stop they go 1a at least the finals 1a 3a 2a 5a 4a 6a Hmm. and i think what to me that works best because the smaller crowd, the smaller schools have the better crowds, mm-hmm. and so early in the morning you're amped right away because you have this one A crowd, but it's taken up three sections, right, with a hype student section, and so even though it's eight a.m. you know tip off, you're like okay, like you're ready you're to watch something crazy, right? And sometimes, and a lot of the time, it is fun, and so you get those small schools in the beginning, and then as you get to maybe the later days where you're probably like, oh, I got nothing, or later hours rather. You get the big time players, right? You get the Showtime, uh, like DeSoto. We watched DeSoto is just a walking D one team. Like, mm-hmm. They were last. It was there was a reason they were the kind of the headlining, um, and so I think they stack it pretty well. And so I'll say football. I think the bad thing about the football state championships is in in smaller classifications. I think there are more blowouts mm-hmm. right. because you get to the more powerhouse teams and in, in, in the smaller schools, and you know as much as. As much as I appreciate Jerry World and as much as I appreciate the spectacle of Jerry World, you know, even when you do bring a big crowd to the to, those, to the small school games, like it's still pretty cavernous, right? And so we're, from where we're sitting on the sideline, I have no doubt that it's great all the way through. But from where we're usually sitting, our vantage point, you know, it is kind of like you know you're probably watching a blowout. You're just kind of like, oh man, this game, you know, you know the results, nothing really is going to happen, and you're just like, all right, I'm just kind of you know, you, the, you, the day can probably catch up to you. Um, in basketball. Even blowouts are kind of back and forth, typically. Um, you don't really get that many blowouts anyway. Um, I think I saw, I think there were two boys blowouts, uh, 4A and 6A. And then girls, 
really just the there Duncanville were... uh, South Grand Prairie, but that wasn't a blowout. It DeSoto was like, South Grand Prairie. Yeah, DeSoto, yeah. DeSoto South Grand Prairie um, in 60 on the girls. That was like you're watching the game. You're like, oh, South Grand Prairie is not going to score more than like 15. Yeah. But it wasn't like it wasn't like a 30, 40 point game either. So, right. Yeah. I also liked, too, that at basketball, you're on the same level as the actual yes. court. You yes. know, you're covering the Media game. You're in the right action. Yes. Right. You're not. 50 feet up, right. 100 feet up, you know, yep. like at football, covering the game from looking down, yep. you know. So that's what I liked about basketball, I was, I too. I was really worried about, like, oh, am I going to be able to make it through? Like, the, yeah. the, the wall hit me because I got through girls weekend, and the wall hit me on, like, the Thursday, like, middle of the day, the first day of semifinals for the boys. I was like, oh, I got to do this I'm again. Tired. <laughs> I was like, am I going to make it through? And luckily, like, the games were really good. And so, yeah. yes, I was able to make it through. But to answer your question, I think football is a bigger uh, uh, push. Mm-hmm. I'd say just because I think the sport of football has much more downtime naturally, you know, the arena doesn't necessarily help. And yeah, it's not as intimate as uh, the football. Each game is longer too. Yeah. I mean, a bad football game can ruin five hours oh, up yeah. there because yeah. it's the hour leading up to it then right. three hours for the game and then an hour afterwards. And so, yeah, it can, a, a bad, a b- I hit the wall usually that Friday afternoon. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, like the sixth or seventh game of the weekend for mm-hmm. football is where it's like, did that interception happen? In this game, right? Yes. <laughs> Am and I, I would thinking think of basketball is even truer? Yeah. Because of all, you know, it's like, man, was that crazy dunk? Right. Right. In this is, one was that, that one? second quarter or like, <laughs> right. or was that yesterday? last week for girls right. basketball? Right, right, like, right, right. what yeah. even yeah. is it? <laughs> yeah. No. It, it, I, I will say, for those of you that haven't been, it is fun. Like, legitimately, uh-huh. like I really enjoy. If you like any form of basketball, I will recommend either weekend because the fan bases are insane. Um, it is a, it is really it is energetic and like I mentioned, it is wall to wall. I'm trying to get Step out there next year. He's he was a uh, he always gets on a basketball kick when the playoffs start. Mm-hmm. So he starts going to games around uh, Walkers and Grinds in Fort Worth. And I was I was just texting him because he was watching it on NFHS. And I was like, you got to get here next year. Like it is if you're just a basketball fan, it's your element. Like it yes. really is just like watching. You're, you may be watching the next best star or whatever. Right. But you also just may be watching somebody who's never going to be forgotten in Sands, Texas, right? So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is better. Yeah. Well, that's a different podcast. Sure, we don't no. need to get to in the weeds here. <laughs> no, I, but, I agree. I agree. But give me like legendary status yeah. in like 3A town rather mm-hmm. than like mm-hmm. decent D1 You may get a D2 player. or D3 shot or something, but for the most part, you're always going to be remembered yeah. at that, yeah. that school. No, yeah. I, I agree. I definitely agree. And then real quick before we get into football, yeah. one word, who you got? Went in March Madness since this is coming mm. out before the bracket starts. I got Kentucky. Okay, I took Gonzaga. I, c- I took Kansas. Okay, all right, we're all three. We'll we'll see you. That's oh, fun now. I just made fun. my bracket at lunch, yeah, so that's fun. Okay, I cool. All right, took about an hour to make it. So, so. with that being said, <laughs> because it is much <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna lose so bad now with that, that I said that. Being said, because I've been in basketball mode for most uh, most of February and uh, now all of March. Uh, I have not paid a lick to college football, so um, <laughs> when I saw the story that uh, that you uh, that Joe Hoyt, sorry, tweeted from the Dallas Morning News, SMU running back Ulysses Bentley mm-hmm. uh, tra- entering the transfer portal, uh, that was kind of huge, and yeah, they just lost their best running back. <laughs> That's a tough blow, especially at this point. I mean, it's like a week before spring practice mm-hmm. starts. I mean, not that it makes it much easier, but if you know this in December, early January, that gives you a couple months in the transfer portal or sure. on the recruiting cycle. You can do some things with it, and you still can. I would imagine they add another running back 
maybe after spring practice because more guys will enter the tra uh, the transfer portal after spring practice when they kind of see where they're at uh, going into the summer. So they still have time to rebound from it and maybe fill that void. But that SMU offense was not the same without Bentley last year. You could definitely tell the games he played and the games he didn't. Uh, he wasn't healthy the end of the year, and they struggled. They went one and four down the stretch. So they're going to have to figure that out. They have some other guys in like Trey Siggers, Tyler Levine that can run the ball, but none of those guys are like explosive, will go 80 yards on one play type of dude. Bentley sure. gave them a whole different dimension to their offense, and this just adds even more pressure to uh, Tanner Mordecai in that passing attack. Yeah, I wonder because he was not with uh, Lashley. I believe, or he, he played under him, but not like he wasn't really featured um, when Lashley was at SMU. And so I wonder if it was like, you know, Lashley giving him, you know, taking a look at him. And I, I wonder how much of it was mutual, how much of it was Ulysses Bentley maybe not seeing or Lashley not preferring that type of running back per se. I don't know, because remember, La I believe Lashley's first year or their breakout year, 2019, um, TJ McDaniel was supposed to be the starting running back. Oh, yeah. I and so a lot more physical hurt. of a runner. Um Obviously, McDaniel can move, but it wasn't – Bentley was, like, third or fourth on that depth chart. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Tyler Levine as well was in that rotation as well. And so I wonder I wonder if it's Lashley maybe – if there's a little bit of a mix. If it's, like you said, like Bentley's probably saw the writing on the wall. It's like, I don't necessarily fit as well as I did in a Garrett Riley offense compared to a Rhett Lashley offense. I don't know. Um, I think it's a good point because yeah. it is an offense that's going to spread you out and then hammer you with that run game, right? right. Like kind of like Texas with Deontay Foreman, where you wanted or Chris Warren and that that kind of that group where it was like we're going to spread you out, and if you put six guys in the box, we're going to have a two hundred and thirty pound hammer coming at you, getting yep. six seven yards, not necessarily like a speedster. So it could be that. I think TCU may be the team to watch mm -hmm. um, if you just follow Sunny Dykes over there and, and that offense, especially with Zach Evans being gone, there could be a hole there in, in a way where that transfer seems a little bit smoother. Maybe missing spring football won't be as big of a deal because what makes it weird is he's got to stay at SMU and figure finish spring semester because right. he's got to stay eligible. Yeah, he's right? old. And we've talked about this on a podcast before. How weird would it be? Oh, yeah. To, like... Stick around. Yeah, like <laughs> like the Murphy Twins at North Texas where you, you haven't figured out a new place yet. Yep. Um, but you still got to go to class because you can't lose the hours. You got to go... You got to have the amount of hours, you know, so you're just, like, hanging out. I don't know. This has got to be... Kind I wonder if there's any deal. rules like you can't go in the locker room or you can't be around the facilities yeah, or something. Yeah, you can't be a part of like the can't... athletic program, right? Because right. you're no longer a part of it. You got to go to the rec like right, every right, other right, student right. if exactly. you want to work out. It's hilarious, right? <laughs> you're like, you know, you're doing your little like squad or whatever, oh, and you're gosh. like Ulysses Bentley's. You know, and you're just like, oh my god, like I am not a man. You know, like, that that is like he's putting weight. That's a on humbling that. experience. Oh, let me tell you. Absolutely. When I was at UTSA, a quick aside. When I was at UTSA, we didn't have a real weight room so like mm -hmm. the basketball team and stuff like that would oh, just, was it? Yes, I do would just pop yeah. up oh, into yeah, the yeah. wreck they would have start, their session right you're yeah. just like what is this six eight dude you know like, <laughs> like you know like there's girls and stuff around like right. i don't want to be lifting weights <laughs> next to these people like, right. this is insane to me i'm gonna look bad so uh, you know you always had to time it you always had to be like when's brooks thompson's team <laughs> going earlier before i'd be anywhere near this <laughs> that was um by the way, I looked up that uh, 2019 team. Xavier Jones and Kimon uh, Freeman were the running backs there. And then TJ McDaniel, of course, got hurt, but mm -hmm. he was one of the feature backs. So, yeah, Ulysses Bentley was fourth in that rotation, very much fourth. Um, so I wonder, again, if it's just a style clash or whatever. He's also from Houston. I don't know if that will matter at all. But, you know, that is something to maybe keep an eye on. I probably would Rice. agree. Oh, sure. Yeah, if he wants to just load it, sure, man. You just want to – hey, we talked about being a legend somewhere, right? Right. <laughs> legend at yeah, Rice. That's yeah, that's true, man. That's true. <laughs> um, but that brings up one, one other question. Uh, we've now had 
two feature running backs transfer from the state of Texas. Uh, presumably, we'll see where Ulysses Bentley goes, but transfer from their programs in Texas. Zach Evans and Ulysses Bentley will be missed more. I'd say definitely Bentley if I'm just really? going to throw it out there. You think so? Because I feel like he got more, a lot more touches than Zach Evans ever did. You know, that's fair. I mean, yeah, fair. and he, he's a better catcher out of the backfield, and that kind of. I, I guess I would lean more Zach Evans just because I'm more confident in SMU's quarterback play. Mm, that's you, a, that's yeah, a, that's you a know, point. like Tanner Mordecai can pick up some of that slack. Right, so right. Throwing the ball six extra times for SMU is probably a good thing in disguise, right? Right. right. I don't know if I want to put any more on Max Duggan or Chandler Morris, whoever ends up being the quarterback at TCU, yeah, or if you had a Zach Evans, you could give him the ball in theory 20 to 25 times a game and take some pressure off your passing attack. So mm -hmm. I think that's where that hurts TCU more is you're not as confident in the quarterback. And so maybe balance is, is more important in Fort Worth in year one. That's right. And I mean, that's a spring, SMU spring rush still has Trey Siggers on it. Like yeah. He's yeah. You've got other players. He's still, he's, I think he had an, he yeah, had he an had, extra year. Yeah. He had that extra year of eligibility. So, so, you know, he's probably just, he's probably the guy that they're just like, yeah, yeah. no, we can work with him as a bell cow. So, I also agree. I will say TCU probably has better depth behind him, but he nobody I don't think gives you that upside of Evans. So yeah. I think that's why he's right. the best player. Yeah, right. Like exactly. who, who's going to become back number one now that that Zach Evans is gone? Oh uh, God! Uh, right, Amicado. Uh, yeah, Barlow is Barlow back? Or? No, he went to USC. That's right. Yeah, he did. Uh, um, they they got a couple guys off uh, the transfer portal like the JUCO the yeah. JUCO ranks. Okay, uh, Kendra Miller. Yes, Kendra. Oh, that's not about uh, it. But yeah. So it'll probably a lot be, of a, solid it'll guys. be a committee. Because, like, even last year without when Zach was hurt, right. like, they'd have one guy go for, like, 123 and two yeah. touchdowns right. one week. And then another guy, you know. So they have some dudes there. I just don't know if they have that, that one guy. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is an old school way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But I still kind of, like, look at, like, when you have a running back and it can be, like, that one that one dude to carry it 20, right. 20, 25 times. Maybe that's not as necessary in modern football as it used to be. Yeah, I don't know. By the way, uh, still funny. Uh, Max Duggan was their leading ball carrier last year. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I just find that so funny yeah. that they had all those running backs. And uh, they give him uh, the Max Duggan had nine more carries than uh, Mari DiMarcato. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on, we have another interview. Uh, Mike Craven landed one of the big fish. Texas head coach Steve Sarkeesian. We, of course, are continuing our series of talking to our goal to get every FBS head coach in this state. Um, and, yeah, next up is Coach Sarkeesian. Mike Craven sat down with him. Of course, this is not about X's and O's and spring camp, even though that is starting up. I could not give a damn about <laughs> any of that. I'm no longer a beat writer, so I don't care about who's the winning the backup quarterback battle. Um, yeah, so you got uh, about 15, 20 minutes with, with Coach Sark. That was really cool. And, yeah, so we're just going to go ahead and switch to that right now. Here is Mike Craven with Texas head coach Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, first off, happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I, try to, uh, I try not to celebrate them too much. I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm getting any older. Well, I was going to ask you, mine is on Friday, and it's made me think about kind of what my favorite age would be to just stay my whole life, and I've settled on 27 because I'm not a kid anymore, but my muscles don't hurt. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was a 29-year-old a for a long time. <laughs> I, I just started counting. I'd say it really quickly. Oh, it's my third 29th birthday. There you go. That's a smart man. That's a smart man. You were a quarterback at, at BYU and also a little bit in, in the CFL. I'm curious what the experience of being a former player kind of allows for you to kind of understand maybe uh, what's going on with your players. 
Well, I think, um, you know, I, I always try to put myself in their shoes. And, and part of it is, you know, I was never the most physically gifted guy, right? I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the strongest. I didn't have the strongest arm. So I really tried to find um, every advantage as a player that I could to be the best player that I could be. And whether that was um, being the best conditioned, whether that was knowledge of the game, knowledge of the play, knowledge of the defense, um, being the best teammate, being the best motivator of the guys around me because I knew I would be better if the guys around me played better, right? <laughs> um, and so that, that aspect of I, I look at hard and I try, to, I try to, you know, point to different things with different players of, of how they can improve. Um, but, but also I recognize the grind and I recognize mm-hmm. the, the, the mentality that you have to have I recognize the disappointments that they have. I recognize the successes. Um, I recognize the pressures, you know, because there's a lot that goes into being a Division One football player, a lot more now than, than it was when I was playing. You know, I didn't have to deal with social media. So there's a lot more now than ever. But uh, I, I, I do recognize where they're at, and, and I try to lean into some of my experience as best I can. Now, you've coached alongside, you know, some of the game's legends, Pete Carroll, Nick Saban. Now, I'm curious what you picked up for them, from them and if they share any traits because from the outside it kind of looks like their personalities are quite a bit different. But I'm curious if there are some common, common personality traits that kind of make them successful. Well, I think, I think they are very different, but yet on some aspects that they are, they are very similar. You know, I think they're both – when it, when it comes down to it, they're very detail-oriented. Uh, they're great technicians. They're great scheme coaches. Um, they motivate their players in their own way. Um, they're, they're championship-driven human beings. Um, that that's, they don't settle for anything less than that. That's where their mindset goes. Um, but how they get to the result, which ultimately is the, they're, they're striving for the same result, how their their roadmap to that is different. But I, I think the one thing, that, the thing that I've taken from both of them is that they figured out who they were as individuals, and then they coached to their own personality and their own strengths. And Pete, very engaging, outgoing, upbeat, enthusiastic. Um, that's how he coached, and, that's, and it took him some time to figure that out, right? Coach Saban, you know, he kind of very focused, you know, very kind of intense, um, kind of really just driven that way. Like, and he coaches that way. And so, you know, he's not as outwardly, he's not high-fiving players, you know, he, he's always inward thinking. But he had to figure that out too, you know, and, and both those guys, their careers really didn't take off until about the second half of their coaching careers. You know, they're both, I think, 71 this year. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure when Pete took over at USC, how old he was. I think he was about 50 at that time. Uh, actually, I think he might have been 50 on the dot in 51. He had just been fired twice. He had just been fired by the New York Jets. He had just been fired by the New England Patriots. 
He comes to USC. He goes six and six his first season. Bang, and then he takes off, and he goes to seven straight BCS bowl games. You know, he wins the two national titles. He loses to Texas the, the, in, the, in the one year. He goes to the Seahawks. He wins the Super Bowl. So all that happened from his 50s to his 70s, right? Which right. is crazy to think. And then Coach Saban, you know, we all marvel at the success he's had at Alabama. And, you know, he won the one national title at, at LSU, but he took over at, at Alabama 16 years ago. So what was that? He was 55. Yep. You know, when you think about it, you know, that the successes that these guys had was really in the second half of their career. So he's probably close to 50, if not right around 50 or so when he won a national title at LSU. So they, they coached for, you know, 25 years before they kind of figured it out. And so to me, like I liken myself to that because, you know, I've had a chance to be a head coach before and at Washington and at USC have been around great people. And along the way, you're, you're learning about yourself as much as you are from others. And you, you start to take some things from other people, but you figure out you have to be yourself because ultimately every team takes on the personality of the head coach. And the sooner everybody buys into kind of that personality and then starts moving forward collectively, um, that's, that's really when it, the whole thing starts to take off. Yeah, that perfectly leads into my next question. I was going to ask you, what are, what are some of the biggest things you've learned about yourself along your journey from, you know, head coach in one place to another and now here at Texas? I think one, I'm a, I'm a people person for sure. Um, I'm very engaging. And I think a lot of times coaching tells you you're supposed to be this authoritarian and you're supposed to, you know, you know stand up in the tower and look down upon everybody and, that's just not me personality wise. I'm engaging. I'm, I'm connecting. I do coach hard. I do have a little bit of that old school in me to coach hard, but in the, in the end, I really try to connect with our players and I, I, I want them to know that I'm here for their benefit to make them the best that they can be. So that's probably the first thing that I learned that to be myself that way of it's okay to smile. It's okay to have fun. But then when it's time to, to lock in and focus, you know, I definitely have that too. That's kind of a little bit of the, the, from the player side of me. The second side of it, the thing that I've learned about me is that, you know, I've had some, some really cool successes along the way. And I'm pretty humble about the successes that I've had. I'm not very boastful. I, I don't, I don't run around and tell everybody how much I know or, the great teams I've been a part of or the great players that I've got a chance to coach. But the reality of it is I think people remind me of that. And so, um, you know, I, I try to use and lean into some of the experiences that I've had um, because it, it can create some credibility within whether it's recruiting or whether it's um, current players or even current coaches on staff of why we're doing what we're doing because of some of the past successes that I've had. And kind of on those same lines, kind of how much more can you get accomplished in your second spring than your first spring, given that, you know, most of those guys in the locker room and a lot of the coaches in that locker room kind of know you a little bit more than maybe they did this time last year? Well, the first thing is that everybody, at least when we go out to practice one, everybody's going to know how to practice. <laughs> you know, right. 
last year this time and then you know you don't they don't let you practice how to practice before the first practice so you, you go out there and you you're trying to teach everybody your expectation, right, of what it looks like. And so I think now we've got a really good consensus of the expectation of the way we practice, the way we go about our business, the way we prepare. Um, and what that then allows me to do is start to dig into the details of the little things. And I'm a detail-oriented guy that way because I had to be as a player, right? And it keeps going back to the way I played. I had to get all of the nuances down pat for me to be the best player that I could be and to have the success that I wanted to have. And I think teams need to be the same way. And when we can really start getting there now, the second spring, um, that's really going to kind of, you know, spring us into the summer and then ultimately in the fall camp. You you had to hire a couple of new position coaches over the off season. Are, are there some common traits maybe in their personality or how they coach or where they've been? when you're kind of going through and, and filling out a staff and, and trying to find new guys to add? Yeah. You know, I, when I looked at the whole thing, I, I felt like um, I wanted to get a little bit younger um, when, that, when that opportunity presented itself. And so, you know, obviously with Coach Choice and Coach Marion, uh, we got two young, upbeat, energetic guys, um, really, really knowledgeable at their craft. I mean, these guys are passionate about the position that they coach. You know, Coach Marion obviously has had a lot of success with receivers and different things. Coach Choice, very passionate about the running back position. Both excellent recruiters. Um, and I think what, one common trait they both have as well is they really connect to our players. You know, I was said, you know, to myself, I said, I, I felt like I want more coaches that think and act like me from a connection to the player standpoint. Both these guys do a really good job. But as young coaches, they do an excellent job of holding our players accountable at their position as well. And that's, that's important because our job's not to be the player's friends. Our job is to be their coach, but that doesn't mean we can't connect with them. Um, but that's, you know, at that point when we can connect with them and then we can earn their trust, now you can really push them to be the best that they can be. And they can trust the fact that man, my coach has my back. That's why he's pushing me so hard. On the other end of that age spectrum, you know, y'all were able to add Gary Patterson to the staff. What does he kind of bring and how much can he help uh, this staff in year two with just the wealth of knowledge he has for football and then in the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, I'm unbelievable respect for Gary. And um, as we went through this thing to figure it out, uh, to find the right fit for him on staff, um, I think, A, you know, the first thing, one of the misnomers that of, of Gary is that, that he's this, you know, we think of the press conferences, we think of the sidelines and, and the intensity. He's an awesome human being, and he is a, he's a great person. He's got great energy. You know, he's upbeat. He's positive. Um, I think he connects really well with people and with players, and, and that's, you know, ultimately I think why he, was a, why he was a great head coach for so many years. But he also has a wealth of knowledge. Um, obviously defensively, schematically, um, and he has a wealth of knowledge in, in the state of Texas. You know, this guy's very well connected to a lot of high school coaches, uh, a lot of people in the state, uh, and I thought he forever in his career he's done a fantastic job of projecting players not necessarily at the position that they were playing in high school, but to where they were going to play in college and then ultimately in the NFL. And I think that that, is a, um, that, that was something that I marvel that from afar, his ability to do that.
And then lastly, you know, what a, you've had a little bit of time between National Signing Day and the start of spring practice. Spring practice is coming up pretty soon for you guys. Now, what does Coach Sark do to kind of unwind outside of football and take a little mental break from it all? Um, I play a little bit of golf. Not very good, but I play a little bit of golf. But that's kind of my escape in that, um, you know, I get my, depending on how slow the round is, anywhere from four to five hours, you know, as, as you get around. But I get away, you know, and get to kind of smell the grass and see the trees and look at the birds and watch the rabbits or whatever you got going on and kind of step away that way. Um, the second thing I do is I try to spend as much time with my wife as I can. You know, we don't we don't get to do that. Uh, a whole lot in season and recruiting and you're grinding through it. So those are probably the two biggest things. And then just being around my kids, you know, when, when I can do that, I mean, those three things are probably my um, kind of getaways, my, my kind of escapes to kind of uh, downshift a little bit and, and um, kind of, you know, recharge the batteries. You more likely to hook it or slice it? Slice it. Yeah. Me same, same here. <laughs> all righty coach hey we really appreciate the time I know, I know it's a busy time of year good luck this spring and uh we'll chat with you later on thanks mike great talking to you thanks again to texas head coach steve sarkeesian for sitting down with us mike craven he made quite a bold claim in there we talked a little bit about it off air uh kind of put his career trajectory kind of in a in a in a, in a very very interesting light a high class high class <laughs> high class high standard Put himself with Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, and I see the logic, right? Sure. Like, I see the logic where you say, okay, Nick Saban flamed out at wherever. Pete Carroll flamed out at wherever. Hell, Bill Belichick flamed out at right. Cleveland, right? Right. Not everybody is, you know, like a, you know, a young shot, you right. know, come out of there. Sure, sure. So then he says that's kind of where he sees himself, right? Very confident way. Very confident. I will say he probably had more – one, I think that's kind of underrating. The, I think he did an okay job when he first had his head coach. Like, Washington, I thought he did a great job. Yeah, and he's, you know, and he thought, I mean, Saban won a championship at LSU, right? Sure, so right, right. I, I think he was just saying, like, he they just didn't reach those, the like. The apex. Yeah, yeah like yeah, the Mount fair. Rushmore that's of the fair. college profession. Right, for maybe their. Until their second half of right. their career. And that gives hope to a, a guy like him yeah. who maybe is still searching for that level of success that it's not like you got to do it by the time you're 40 or you're you're not doing it i wonder how much of that comes from just being those guys assistants sure like pete carroll like that that strikes me as something that pete carroll and nick saban told him specifically Mm -hmm. that's a fair point because like when he was a coordinator under under carroll like he was he was part of that rise at usc right he goes to get to washington job he goes to you it does not you know obviously what happened at usc happens it, it would not shock me if as he was getting back into coaching, Pete Carroll, you know, at that time, you know, winning Super Bowl, uh, winning national titles and now Super Bowls um, with Seattle, it did not shock me that if he reached out to him at that time, he's like, hey, I'm trying to get back into coaching, blah, blah, blah. If Pete Carroll said that to him, he's like, hey, I had my valley, you know, I've, ro- I've, I've, come in, I've come out of that, blah, blah, blah. And then under Nick Saban, Nick Saban told him the same thing, right? Yep. Because it seems like, I mean, you know, we, we talked about this. He seems like a personable guy. Personal right. guy and a, and a super smart guy who you can tell really like is a student of the game. Yes. And his game is coaching. Yes. Right. So like he, you can tell that he's paid a lot of attention to that. And he kind of alluded to when he was playing, he wasn't like 
the best at anything. Right. And so he had to kind of like know more about the game or, or be good at, you know, people skills and stuff to kind of fill in some of those gaps that maybe he wasn't good in. So I think he is somebody who's pretty observant, who has sat there and probably had those conversations with those coaches mm-hmm. and have looked at their careers and gone, okay, you know, I, I still have time to figure this out. You don't have to be a finished product you know, right away. Not, a, you know, cause I feel like nowadays in coaching, we've moved to that. Who's the next young guy. Right. Who's I mean, figured if, if it you're out. not Lincoln Riley right out of the gate, yeah. right. You're not successful. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's moving less. It's more away from like the retreads and stuff like, Oh, he's already had his shot. Give another guy a shot. Right. Well, we're all probably better at our jobs the second and third time we've done them. I know sure. I am. Sure. I'm a much better writer now. Like if I went back and read like my Taylor Daily Press articles, right, I'd throw right. up. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> yeah. I, I'd imagine yeah. that's the same for everybody in their career. Like Mallory's gonna look back at these podcasts in a decade and be like, What was I doing with those two losers? You know? <laughs> like right, that exactly. that's how this hell goes. So I think he He's an, he's an older guy now. He had a birthday, mm-hmm. you know, and that always kind of... It was his put, birthday. It was, it was his birthday, you know? <laughs> you said, first off, happy birthday. Yeah, it was his birthday the day before we <laughs> talked or whatever. And so, like, you know, that always kind of gives you a little bit of sense of mortality every yeah. year. That sure. birthday comes around and you're like, okay, you got to reassess everything. And so I think he's a guy who, going into his second spring, is trying to be as introspective as possible because he knows this may be the, the last big shot, yeah. right? You've had the USC... You've had Washington. Now you're at Texas. If you can't get it done there, you know, what? what's the next step? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be a Tom Herman, right? right? You know, like where you start to disappear from like the conversations. And so I think there's a lot of pressure on Sark going into year two uh, because this is the job he's battled for his whole life. And if yeah. you can't make it work here, we've seen the other tech. Charlie Strong, where is he now? Right. Tom Herman, where is he now? Mm-hmm. And so – you know, you, Mac, Mac had 30, 40 years of success, and he won a national championship. So right. that's a different story. I think Sark knows, hey, these are a really important two or three years for me. And at Texas, maybe just a year or two. Yeah. Right. right. And that's a lot of pressure. And, mm-hmm. and spring practice coming up, I think he's a guy who's kind of looking at his coaching mortality and knowing that, you know, this is kind of rubber meat dirt time. Yeah. Right. I think, I think one of the things, one of his traits that I've always, I've always thought, because, you know, when he, when he was first hired, I was skeptical, right? I was like, I don't, I don't know if going the Saban route is mm-hmm. necessarily the way. Um, you know, I, I think there are still some questions I have about him as a head coach, specifically of Texas, uh, not in general, but specifically for this job. But one thing that I feel that he has that you kind of need, and it's something that Charlie Strong didn't have, and it's something that Tom Herman didn't have, or Tom Herman I think had in the wrong way. Um, he has a confidence about him, and he has a confidence about his plan, and it's not a, it's not an arrogance about it. Now, that's where I think somebody like a Tom Herman probably went wrong. It was an arrogance probably to him. You talked to a lot of the reporters, talked to you were there in the, yep. in the scrums and all that. Yep. There is a there was a holier than thou vibe. And I, I want to say there it comes from that Urban Meyer tree. Mm-hmm. I really do. Because Charlie, granted, Charlie Strong didn't have that. But more often than not, I feel like Herman assistants have that. Oh, I'm the next uh, Urban Meyer. Right. And Urban Meyer can have that 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 attitude right like i'm the smartest guy in the room and you're gonna know it exactly right. yeah. um granted urban meyer can't have it in the nfl he can have it in college football <laughs> but you get my point um he can do that he can wield that sword tom herman coming in from houston can't have that great job at houston this is texas different you can't run the call the shots here sark feels like he can play the game he feels like he can play the field he feels like he's also last year i feel like if if Herman's team in his first year or two goes five and seven, I feel like we see a very stressed out, a very on edge Tom Herman. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
we didn't see that from Sark. Now we saw some things that were like, oh, why do you say that? Or that's interesting that he said, but it didn't feel like things were going off the rails. It felt like he had like, he didn't obviously didn't expect five and seven, but it looked like he was like, this isn't a vast uh, uh, deviation from where I'm going, right? This yeah. is just a little detour, a little speed bump, whatever. We're fine. Um, There's so many coaches that I think, especially in that high-profile job, where it's like, well, damn, we got to go get blah, 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 fire these coaches, fire those guys. Like, No, he was like, no, I got the right coaching staff. Just need a couple players. Let me get my quarterback, right? It was more or less like, we. I know the holes. I got this. <laughs> and with Tom Herman, you saw guys jump and ship. Yes. Either like not joining recruiting classes or transferring out of the program. I think it says something about Steve. actively losing recruiting battles. Right. Like straight up. Right. Yeah. Like, like Quinn Ewers and yep. the Brockemeyer twins and stuff. <laughs> um, I think he got fired as much for that as yep. he did for – because he went 7-3 and three his yeah. last year there. Well, was, yeah, you like, know, he, he was fine on the field, honestly. Yeah. I mean, like, he missed out on the best offensive line class probably of, like, the last generation. Right, and lost the star quarterback, yep. you know, over the eyes of Texas stuff yep. and, and to Ohio State. So there was a lot of baggage there going on. And I think the administration looked at – the perception of Tom Herman and the recruiting cycle and go, okay, we're not going to be able to win long-term with that. Sark goes five and seven and loses, you know, what, six straight big 12 championship or big 12 games, you Mm -hmm. know, four or five of them after being ahead at halftime. But he gets to add a Quinn Ewers. Mm-hmm. He adds a Jalen Billingsley at tight end. His recruiting class is a top eight recruiting I was class. Say, when's in, the last in the time nation. the offensive line class looked like that for Texas? Right, Kelvin Banks joined. Like all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so you can you can look at it and you go, okay, well the players still believe in him, mm-hmm. right? Demarvian Overshone Overshone comes back for mm-hmm. for a year. Bajon Robinson never talks about transferring. Xavier Worthy, rock solid, right? And so I I think as a Texas fan, you should look at right now and go okay we didn't have that great of a season but it does believe it does look like everybody didn't have a lot of assistance leave it right. does look like uh, everybody in there kind of feels like they're on the cusp of something and i honestly think adding gary patterson to that room mm-hmm. was a tremendous thing because what yeah what it looked like he what it looked like that move served as was okay we're definitely not a perfect staff right we could use somebody a little more experienced than me just kind of sure up some things, right? Who's the old veteran in the room? Who's the old, you know, it wasn't necessarily Kyle Flood. It wasn't right. Who's the next, who's the head guy that I can turn to and be like, hey, what's up? How do we get out of this? What's, what's kind of, how do you, how do we navigate this space? Sometimes confidence can be, and at least arrogance can be this, is, is kind of a filler for uh, when, you, when you actually are insecure about yourself. Sure. And I believe that hiring Gary Patterson onto your staff at the University of Texas after going five and seven proves that Steve Sarkeesian is pretty confident and yeah. secure in himself. Sure. Because you don't do that no. mm-hmm. if you worry that your players and your assistant coaches are going to start listening to that guy mm-hmm. right. and not me. Yep. I don't think that's something Tom Herman would have been able to do. Sure. And so will Texas go 10 and two next year? Probably not. Mm. Like I'm not saying that this thing's about to be back on the trip, but I do think Sark is the best equipped to lead Texas of any head coach since Mac Brown. That's as good as I can say. And I I do think uh, we start seeing Texas trend in the right direction. Is that good enough at UT? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know what is good enough Mm -hmm. at Texas, Uh, but I do think he's a guy who can handle the pressures at Texas in a way that Charlie Strong and Tom Herman could not. Mallory, do we have any questions in regards to the Longhorns? We do. We have quite a few. We'll start off. You know, I feel like we all know who's going to be the starting quarterback next season. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, what percentage do you give Quinn Ewers to start in 2022? 
in 2022 or to the start the season? Oh, week one? Man, 95? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I wanted I mean, to know how close to 100%. I was yeah. about to say, like, there, there is a 5% chance that, like, he's not ready. 5%. Like, legitimately 5% chance he's not ready. A year at Ohio State, you bring him in, he goes through all the spring. Like, if he's ready, if he's not ready, I don't know why you went through all that effort. And who do they right? play the first – game is oh louisiana monroe looks yeah. like okay. so they will you should kick some butt yes <laughs> they, will, they will i will guarantee you 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 guys remember the hype after last year's whenever louisiana it's gonna be tenfold because they're gonna kick their ass yeah. i'm yeah. sorry the, yeah. monroe is not good no. but week two <laughs> <laughs> buddy you better be ready <laughs> buddy <laughs> to so be yes, starting that's why he will start week one because yes. they're definitely not starting in week two if he's not starting week one <laughs> yeah yeah no just let hudson card start the first two weeks and then slide it over to Quinn, you, you know, just like, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think it's close to 90% as well. I'd be, I'd be really surprised. I, I mean, I do think Hudson card is closer to Quinn Ewers talent wise than like we give credit to. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the, I know Quinn Ewers was like number one overall prospect or whatever, but Hudson card was like a top hundred guy, top right. 50 guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think we're talking like varsity versus jv here sure. i think hudson gets plenty of opportunities in the spring uh to to prove why he belongs because sark's trying to keep him around too mm-hmm. yep. right you know you want to keep you want to have two guys I was about to say, you don't on want, your no roster to malik murphy but you don't want him as your immediate backup right, quarterback right as a freshman. and then the other reason i can't say anything over 90 percent with quinn yours is like i don't know what a stick to is yeah Right, like let's say this spring doesn't go as well for yours as we think it's going to he mm-hmm. gets injured or uh, something's going on behind the scenes with grades or he's just right. not like an Austin or, you know, whatever's happening. I mean, is it out of the question that he transfers? Right. You right. Know, or gets out of Dodge if Hudson's right there with him or if he's not guaranteed a spot. Cause it sure. did sound like in his recruitment that a guaranteed spot was part mm-hmm. of the, the situation that he sure. wanted. That's why he left Ohio state. So uh, it'll be, it's fascinating to me what happens in that quarterback room. Cause this feels like the first like real NIL quarterback battle. That, that's very true. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we're like, this is as much about money as it is about anything else. And so, that's like, so weird to say, too. About, right. You, I mean, Quinn, you, there were news reports just blatantly about his NIL deal. Like, obviously, that's that's part of why he was. Well, he left, he left South Lake Carroll. Right, uh-huh. right. Exactly. Yes. To he, go get paid. Exactly. Yep. And he had that deal. And then by all accounts, like that deal had to be, he had to be guaranteed a number of starts to keep that deal. When Ryan Day said no, CJ Stroud just won Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. <laughs> we're not benching him. He was like, "All right, cool, fair enough, I'm out." Right. And theoretically, Texas, somebody somewhere at Texas is like, "Yo, got yeah. your Come deal back. right here, bro. <laughs> dog. Yeah, you're right. gonna be, your name's compared to uh, uh, to Garrett Gilbert, Vince Young in terms of that high level of recruit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, come on. And yeah. everybody knows that the quarterback of Texas is like, it's the to me that is the pinnacle of college football. Mm-hmm. To me, like, think about another school. Running back at USC. That's fair. That's, that's a good. That's about that, the only that's one. That's the only that other can, position right. where you can think of one position at one school that is absolutely iconic yeah. immediately. You're right. Mm-hmm. It's like linebacker at Penn State. Right. Yeah. Running back at U- USC. Yeah. I mean, there are certain spots where you're like, okay, that. Yeah. Like, because you can you can think about it, right? You can say, oh yeah, Bama's had better quarterbacks consistently, but like that's just a machine at that point. Right. You're you've had like, better running backs. You've had better receivers at Alabama at right. some points. You but know. You think about the iconic Texas quarterback, Vince Young, Colt McCoy. Like no one's right. touching those guys in terms. Bobby of Bobby Lane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah, you go, Bobby. Yeah. Exactly. No, but yeah, that's the point, right? right. Um, so, yeah, it is the probably the most marketable position in college sports. In a city growing, in a city yeah. booming growing, with money. Hundred percent. Like mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. So 
it, there's no doubt that there's money that p- comes into this. And like if you're Hudson Card and you're like, well, if I'm going to be second string, you know, there, there has to be some incentive for him to stay there. Right. Right. Because he is good enough to play college football, to play high level college football. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that you bring up spring uh, going potentially, you know, possibly, you know, we'll see uh, not going uh, Ewer's way because by all accounts, that's kind of what happened with Thompson last year. Right. By all accounts, people that were out there at spring camp, he didn't look that great. Despite coming off of a really good Alamo Bowl, people were like, oh, yeah, he's the starter, right? Mm-hmm. He's more experienced. He looked good in the Alamo Bowl. Um, and then you come out of spring camp, it's like, uh, he's kind of throwing to, to Brockermeyer a ton. Like, you know, the, apparently, like, he was throwing to the linebackers a lot more than he was throwing to some receivers. Because we can't forget that Quinn Ewers hasn't played meaningful football since his junior year of high school yeah. against Westlake. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a different thing. I mean, I know that Westlake defense is really good, but that's right. a different thing than and what sure he he's played, like, what, one or two snaps? In yeah, like he, he didn't throw a single ball That's true. Year. Yes, that is right. That you is know, right. and so, like, he's going to be rusty. Mm-hmm. He's not going to walk out there and look like Trevor Lawrence 2.0 right, right. away. There's going to be some adversity, right? Everybody faces adversity. How does he handle it? How does that locker room handle it? I think those are questions that are fair and that we can't possibly know the answers to until it happens. Right. Yep. Moving on, will this be the year that Bijan Robinson becomes a Heisman finalist? I think this is see what's interesting to me about this question mm-hmm. is this isn't about Bijan Robinson's no. talent. How good is the quarterback play? How right? Yeah, <laughs> it depends on how good Texas is. Yeah, right. Because if Texas is nine and three or better, I believe Bijan Robinson to be a Heisman finalist if he's healthy. Sure. If Texas is a seven and five, eight and four, heck, five he's and not seven be again, considered. he's right. not going again because it's it's as much it's the best player on the best team. That's what the Heisman has become. Exactly. Yep. And so uh, for me, this is a how good do you feel about Texas a season question as much as it is about Bijan Robinson because I think we can all agree. He's either the best or second best running back behind Henderson at Ohio State in the mm-hmm. nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm gonna give it a Heisman finalist. I'm gonna give it thirty percent. That's pretty good odds. That's honestly. pretty good. They're pretty decent odds because, you know, it tends to lean towards, especially like through the first two months of the season, tends to lean towards familiar names. Yeah. Right. Aiden Hutchinson wasn't on anybody's name no. in the beginning of the year, and so I'll say he gets a little bit of he gets a boost. And I think, and it kind of happened this year where it was like, oh, he was basically the guy until like November hit. Yeah, he got right? it, Obviously, yeah. he got hurt, but right. obviously Texas season kind of fell off as well. And so, even if he was putting up numbers, I think he would he probably he definitely wouldn't have been a finalist if they were five and seven. Um, if they were five and seven, he was still healthy. I don't think he would have been. But I think I'll you know I I still think he'll hold on to his candidacy, if you will, until about that November season uh, November run. Or, I mean, I'll have to look at their schedule again. i got to see exactly how their schedule plays out because, yeah, obviously, they have yeah, that tough U- UTSA and Alabama uh, yeah. before conference, and then I think they have Iowa State and Oklahoma pretty early in yeah. Big 12 play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, they could theoretically be three and four, four right. and four, and then at that point I don't know if he's You're not really considered, yeah, really at that depends point. depends on how his games are against Alabama and Oklahoma, and I'm not sure that the offensive line can get that much better that sure. quickly. Right. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I'm gonna keep it at thirty percent though. I'm gonna keep it yeah, at thirty percent. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in that range too. Like a third, you know, thirty three percent chance that yeah. he gets it. Moving on, how can the defense improve in year two under Sark? It's gonna take a miracle. I believe that this is my theory. Yes, I just want to say that okay. this is just a Mike Craven theory off the top. <laughs> before I, I, this he is not scientific. Uh huh. 
I think Pete Qu- Kwiatkowski and the defensive staff came to the Big 12 thinking it was one thing and mm, then realized yeah. way too late that it is an entirely different thing. Mm-hmm. This is not the Big 12 of 15 years ago or even 10 years ago where like everybody's throwing the ball 60 times yep. and Mike Leach and uh-huh. Art Bryles are dominating. That's not what this is now. You're getting punched in the right. mouth. <laughs> Oklahoma State and Baylor made the conference championship for a reason. Those were the two toughest teams in the Big 12, and Texas was not that. They're playing double high safety, 30, you know, like 30 yards off the mm-hmm. ball mm-hmm. and just giving up five-yard rushing. Yep. Like, well, you know, we'll just bend but don't break. Well, that's not – that's just not what it is. And so I think – and that's why I think the Gary Patterson hire was yeah. such a humble pie moment. Mm-hmm. Was like okay, they how do we see scheme this? <laughs> right. Wait, we're lost. Yeah. Like I know how to teach tackling, and I know how to teach this, but I don't really know the Big Twelve. Right. And Gary Patterson knows more about the Big Twelve than anybody, specifically mm-hmm. as a defensive mind. And so I think they get better in year two, not because the talent gets much better, because I think they got a lot of dudes on that defense. Like sure. I, I think Texas defense is supremely talented, honestly, from an individual skill basis wise. But they were lost schematically, yeah. and this year they should do a lot better job. I would hope of scheming the Big 12 because they've had a year in it and they just added in what my opinion is the best defensive mind in the Big 12 over the last 20 years. They mm-hmm. recruited really well too, especially they recruited really heavily on the front seven too. So. Yes, they added a lot of good defensive linemen. And the defensive linemen, they, I mean, Keandre Coburn's a stud. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he really is yeah. a good nose tackle. Overshone's going to be one of the best linebackers in, in the Big 12. Mora Jomo is good. Um, you got Terrence Brooks from Ohio State too. Yeah, that that transfer they they did do a good job of recruiting. They got some young guys there, um, like Jalen Ford and guys at linebacker who I think that can give them uh, a push. And so uh, I'm drawing a blank now. I love that kid. He's a defensive tackle from Desoto a few years ago. Oh geez, I don't um, know why. Let me see the roster up right here. Let me see if I can bring him up. I can like see him in my head. Like I know what number he wears. Right. Uh, Byron Murphy. There it is. Yeah. I was like, I was, I was, was going to call him Byron Vaughn's. Oh, the, <laughs> yeah. the outside linebacker right. from Fort Worth right. that went to Texas a few years ago. I was like, that is not right. But I, I do think that they have a lot of really good players. I think the way they get de- better defensively is just getting schemed up and being in the right position. Yeah, that's fair. I do worry about the depth of linebacker. Yeah. Um, I think they missed out on some transfers that they definitely wanted. Um, one being particularly Drew Sanders. I think that they went really hard for him. He chose Arkansas. Um, that would have been instantly, like, would have boosted that that linebacker room. I think that is where they're still shallowest, if I had yeah. to guess. Um, An edge rusher. And yes, yeah. yes, they need a pass rush. They desperately need a pass rush. I guess I'm already in my head considering O'Shawn Mathis probably a guy who's who's there. Yeah. Uh, but if he doesn't just, go there. I was about there, to say, it's, it's weird that he hasn't right. gone. Like, mm-hmm. hasn't if this is the spot for him, which – everybody's penciled it in basically it's weird that it hasn't happened yeah. yet um because it's kind of like what's your way to spring camps here buddy like what's, what's kind of going on that photo of him and gary patterson yeah putting up longhorns and like in burn orange stuff weird like such a weird that's like a twilight moment situation. yeah it's yeah i don't know that's weird who let me see it's a very final. strange vibe yeah very Those, strange uh, vibe let's see they have a finalist <laughs> list in late february i know usc was on it um and obviously Texas was on it. I can't find the list now. But yeah, um, if they land him, then there's your help, right? Yeah. There's there's your pass rush help. Yeah. Um, because granted, I, he didn't have the breakout year that I think people thought he would at TCU. But I don't think I think it was mostly him on an island as far as being like a legit pass rusher. So um, regardless, if they land him, that is a massive help because they've 
they've gotten help on that defense, but I don't think they've had the transfer portal success that they probably wanted. Yeah. Um, obviously, you want to land everybody, but I think they were missing kind of their big fish um, in that big fish landing that they wanted, like similar to a Quinn Ewers on offense. I was going to say Ole Miss, Penn State, Nebraska, also okay. amongst the finalists on yeah. that list. So. so. Ole Miss is becoming transfer you. So for Man, all good for him for taking some visits and getting that secondary recruiting oh, yeah. going. It's the, Cam- he it's the under, Cameron Ward's he package. He's an man. under-recruited guy yeah. coming out yeah. of Maynard. Um, and so, like, he's going to go take advantage of this. And, man, I would. Yeah. yeah. Put on every jersey, man. <laughs> go, yeah. go, 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 do a, go do every hand sign yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. It's all good, man. Yeah. Man, he's old, too, now. He's, like, over 21. Those part, yeah. those, those recruiting visits hit a little bit different <laughs> when, you're, yeah. when you're of uh, legal age. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Is that all we got? Yeah, this one's kind of more just for me. How involved are we going to see Gary Patterson really, you know, get in dirty with the defense this year? Do you think he's going to kind of step back? Yeah. You know, he's not going to be on the sidelines. Or how much is Sark going to allow him? Yeah. Right. You know, all in defense and stuff like that, which is still one of my favorite things. You know, like (laughs) Gary Gary Patterson switching shirts in the middle of the game where you can go, like, (laughs) he's calling plays now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's one of my favorites. Like he didn't like the first half. Gary Patterson's in a black shirt. <laughs> uh, so I don't think, as viewers, as fans, as media people, I don't think we're gonna see it. Where yeah. We're, we're gonna right. go like, Oh look, there's Gary Patterson doing this one thing. Right. I think like Sunday through Thursday, though, behind mm-hmm. the scenes, right. He's gonna be heavily involved gotcha. in the defensive yeah. game plan um, and just kind of the overall schematic idea of what Texas defense is this year. I think he's going to have a pretty big hand in that. Yeah. Let me, let me put a relation to it. Um, as people know, I'm a Titans fan and they had Tennessee was, we were skeptical when Mike Vrabel kept Shane Bowen in 2020, mm-hmm. who Titans posted the league's worst defense. And he kept Shane Bowen as defensive coordinator. He brings in Jim Schwartz as a special advisor to the def- the defense, more or less, you know, on the field but not really on the field uh, coordinator, and basically it was what I think Gary Patterson's role similarly will be. Defense took a huge step this year for mm-hmm. the Titans, and I think it was because of Jim Schwartz having that advisor role, somebody who. Like Gary Patterson, Jim Schwartz knows pass rush, right? And so I think he'll be able to scheme, help guys with technique, help guys with certain things to be like, hey, here's what worked for me for 20 years at TCU. Here are some wrinkles here and there. Pete Kwiatkowski will be the play caller. Pete Kwiatkowski will be the schemer, all that stuff. But if he says, hey, by the way, this worked for us against Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. This worked for us against Baylor. When OK State lines up in a two-two formation, right. this is what they do eighty-five percent of the time. Yes, like and that. So here's kind of stuff. here's where I will stunt so and so. Right. Here's where I will stunt so and so. That's where Gary Patterson will help. The players may, you know, he, he probably, he's probably on the practice field, blah blah blah, right there next to Pete Kwiatkowski, and probably helping the old, um, probably just kind of having an eagle's eye view of the defense. Um, he'll be in the he'll be in the booth. He's not going to be on the field, right? He'll be there, kind of up there. Um, but yeah, I definitely I'll, I see his role being that. It's definitely more accurate, I'd say. Um, and then overall, like in, in coach meetings and all that, he'll be you know one of the, just the probably be hanging around. Like he's not going to be next right there next to Sark. He's right. not going to be one of the first guys in the front row. He's going to be in the back of the room, right? Kind of just. He's going to be an editor. Yeah, exactly. You he's know, where like you don't see him up. on the byline or anything like that, right. but like he has so much to do with like the product you're yes. seeing on the. Field. If you see a market a marked step forward from Texas this year, specifically in the pass rush, and especially if they don't land Oshawn Mathis, right. mm-hmm. that's something that I think Gary Patterson had a non-zero uh, uh, help involvement with. Yep. So. Do you think there's potential for him to ever move up into a, a better spot, like the defensive coordinator? 
Potent- I think that depends on Gary Patterson. Yeah, I think I think I think that he probably had some calls to come back to coaching in general. Um, yeah. I think that he this is probably a role that he saw for now that he can grow in. And, that he, yeah. yeah, that he's like you know it at this doesn't stage involve eighty eight hours in the, at the office. Yeah, or whatever. Right. don't have to talk to media oh, all the time. A, he just has to take a photo right. with Mathis at a recruiting <laughs> visit. Like that's, that, with that's, horns up, exactly. <laughs> and just, and then just coach right ball. Right, right, you know? right. And, and so like I bet that was a that's a perfect lane. But I think. Yeah, I mean, I think Gary Patterson could be a defense coordinator right now. Yes. Right. Probably be a head coach. Right. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere right now if he wanted to. I think it what just we depends will see on what he wants to do. If Texas sees success, especially particularly on defense in the next year or two, Kwiatkowski will get a call somewhere, mm-hmm. and then we'll have that conversation yeah. potentially about Patterson stepping up. Or <laughs> That'd be weird. as an interim DC, if Kwiatkowski leaves early or whatever, right? You have that guy in-house, whether it's a quick fix or if you, you know, I, I don't think this will happen, but if you fire Kwiatkowski, you have a guy in house, right? Mm-hmm. There is that – he's that auxiliary guy that if you need to make somebody in a pinch, hey, what's up? We need somebody, you know. And we were talking earlier, and I, I kind of mentioned, like, how secure in himself Sark had to be to bring in Gary Patterson. But yeah. now that I think about it, like, Sark's an offensive guy, right? So, oh, yeah. like, he's just, like, figure – like, y'all figure, y'all figure that out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Quick – Kukowski's like stomach must have dropped, right? Right. Like yeah. when the Gary, that, know, that's what I was thinking. You know, that's what made like, me think. Like, is does Sark see this potentially oh, as a as the future right? defensive like, coordinator? Because I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm the college football writer here, right? Sure, sure. If all of a sudden Kirk Bowles is walking around <laughs> the office once he retires, give, it, and give stuff, advice and editorial. Right. <laughs> yeah, took like an analyst position <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm gonna look around and go, hmm. <laughs> What, what do y'all think? Cover story this year because <laughs> right. it probably ain't me. Right. You know, like if, if, let's say Kwiatkowski and Gary Patterson have a disagreement of coverages. Yeah. Coming up against Baylor, right? And right. they're both telling Sark about it. Mm-hmm. Who's gonna get the upper hand? Common sense suggests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That the one with the statue. Yep. Is gonna get listened to, and like right. that can undercut. That's what you I'm as saying. You see, that could do. That could become a very, a very, especially, especially if they struggle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If everything's going well defensively. It's probably kumbaya. Everything's going to keep them both. You know, say, this right. is good. We saw this happen at Ohio State when Kerry Coombs is the defensive coordinator. They start off terribly defensively, and they switch play call. It, it's the it was the most <laughs> castrating thing I yeah. think I've seen in college football last year. Kerry Coombs remained defensive coordinator, but did not have play calling duties. Right. And he gave it to, I, I can't remember who, he, who Ryan Day gave it to, but he basically stripped it. He's like, yeah, sure. He's the DC, quote unquote, wink, yeah. wink, right? Uh-huh. right Still right. has to go talk to you. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Staring right into the camera. <laughs> yeah, he's the DC. Like, yeah. it's like, if we see that scenario, you know, that it's it's possibility, mm-hmm. right? You have that in-house guy where you're like, yep. yeah, Kwiatkowski the defensive coordinator. Why is Gary calling the plays? Don't matter. Like, yeah. <laughs> Kwiatkowski why, the defensive coordinator. Why is Patterson on the sideline with his black shirt on? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like, yeah, so I, I, I definitely agree. Like, yeah, Sark is, Sark's the offensive guy. He doesn't – he. Uh, yes, he cares, quote unquote, cares about defense. Sure. But for the most part, he's going to worry he's about Quinn Ewers, Bajan Robinson. He's not arguing with anybody right. over something in the linebacker room. Hey, coach, we should probably go uh, cover three here. <laughs> sure, man. I don't right. care. Like, I don't yeah, care. That's what, is that <laughs> you, what you, you see? You get paid $1.5 million. <laughs> you go ahead and do that. Right. Yeah. So, no, I agree. Like, that is something. If I'm Pete Kwiatkowski, look at a little bit of a side eye. It's yep. Like, yeah. oh, what's this guy doing in the, in the room, yep. right? <laughs> yep. If they're three and three. Yeah. 
and yes. they're and they're the and offense that, is scoring and forty. Lo- and that Bama loss was forty-two to ten or something, or even right. like forty-two to thirty-eight. Yeah, you know, like where the where the offense is fifty-six forty-nine. Where it's clear that there's one side of the ball that's not good. Yes. Yeah, because yes. I think the offense is going to put up points. Yeah, that's fair. That's I mean, fair. Yes. Yes. you got that's one of the best point. running backs in the nation. Right. Xavier Worthy is unreal. Like right. no matter who the quarterback is, like the offensive line's got to be better. Thirty-five plus and lose to Bama. Right, and Oklahoma. Right, and to one other team or something like that. It's like well after last season and now we got like at what point do you pull that ripcord and you know the guy behind you can figure it out mm-hmm. yeah, like, maybe he didn't last year but like you know that he has success doing it, it that's a super interesting storyline kind of to watch for texas and one mm-hmm. i'm gonna be fascinated because it's the first conference game tech in lubbock mm. yeah that i think will be a very telling game yeah. I hope that's a night game. Oh, I hope so too. That'd be amazing. September twenty fourth in Lubbock. Again, that's you get ULM, Bama, UTSA, right? So, what what does that? I think that's going to be such a telling story for that defense because. And then Oklahoma's this game after Tech, right? Uh, West Virginia, West Virginia, then, then yeah. So you you play you basically play this air raid offense, and you know, granted, this may be the offense that they're that they've been kind of expecting to see in the Big 12. And so they might be game planning great for that. But if Tech goes and hangs with a first-year head coach, goes and hangs whatever on you, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? What's what's happening with this, right? I, th- I think by September 24th, we will know a lot about this defense. Mm-hmm. Because then at that point you would have played – ULM, UTSA, teams you should beat, but UTSA, well, you know, they're not they're they not got pushovers. a good offense. Exactly. They're not pushovers, so we'll, we'll know what you have. You get your little cleanup game against ULM, get your huge probably overmatch test against Bama, so we'll see kind of where you tap out at. And then you get, t- then you get Texas Tech. Okay, here's somebody more at your level. Shut them down. Right? Straight up. You have to sh- – this is a first-year op- first coach, first-year offense. Shut them down. Yeah. Yeah, because if you like, – I mean, in theory, right, you mm-hmm. lose to Alabama, you may lose to Oklahoma. If you throw in a Texas Tech loss in there – because we just talked about how much pressure Sark is under, mm-hmm. um, not only at Texas but just in his career, right, mm-hmm. where he is in his career. I just – yeah, I, I guess to me it's just – when you have a proven commodity sitting in the room somewhere, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna break in in case of emergency. Yep. Gary, a lot fix quick, this, right? <laughs> fix quick, this quicker than if Sark had five years of success at Texas. Yep, we're like, you know, he feels confident in his job. Like he's he's got to do everything possible to win and win now. Yeah, and I, and we've see, we we saw him pull the ripcord on offense. Hey, Quinn Ewers, get over here. Yeah, right. we need a quarterback. We we need to, we need to pull the break break in case of emergency. That was his emergency for offense. All right, mm-hmm. here's our guy. Not, not Defense, afraid to do it. I don't know how many more players you're gonna get, but you can you can make one move. That's mm-hmm. certainly that's certainly true. So yep. it'll be something to watch. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that is a great point about having two conflicting messages now. Yes. Uh, well, that is it for us. We will see you next week. Mike Craven, can you give us a little hint about who our next guest will be? He is also from the state of California. Okay. There's your hint. And uh, and we've done seven out of 12. So I'll just, for the viewers, oh, okay. there you go. we haven't done A&M, mm-hmm. Baylor, UTEP, Texas State, Rice. Yep. So there you go. We will see you guys next week. Remember to like, uh, subscribe, all that stuff. I said like, like this is on YouTube or something. I don't know. Um, you can, I think you can like the podcast on Spotify? Apple Music. Like it mentally. Yes. Subscribe <laughs> to it physically. Yes, there you go. And give us feedback. Give us feedback, five-star reviews, whatever. Uh, if you want to give us lower than that, don't, because that'll, <laughs> that'll help the algorithm. <laughs> five stars only. That's 
awful algorithm, by the way. <laughs> Only five terrible. stars help you. Like, there's no four <laughs> stars. Is like, like an oh. A&M recruiting class. Five <laughs> stars only. <laughs> right, exactly. Four stars push you down the algorithm. So five stars only if you're not. You're not signing a single punter. In the <laughs> Exactly. In the words of Bomani Jones, if you do lower than that, you're just a hater. Um, so anyway, we will talk to you guys next week.